WSL Nation. Hello again. It's so good to have you. We're now two weeks, week and a half, two weeks. We're several days into the Challenge Cup. We've had a chance to see at least every club one time, and we'll be seeing everyone at least two times after this week. And we've got one division that might already be wrapped up. We've got another division where it's just about open for everyone. Lots of good fun to be had. Let's see if we could potentially break the four yellow card record on this episode but i won't be doing that alone of course i'm steve schwartzman i'm here with our resident soccer savant mike mcphee mike how are things hey steve things are things are going great this challenge cup has been nothing short of exciting yes i mean it's been very much as advertised and uh, it's been fun to showcase the talent we have so far If, if people feel like this is a down period in terms of soccer news due to the Olympics in several, in a couple of months, I, I think they might've another thing coming because there's a lot for us to cover in a short amount of time. It's been a real crazy time, but that's not even including, you know, we didn't have time last week to, to put on an episode to discuss the Sarah Gordon scenario or the settlement with um, the women's team in us soccer on the fair work conditions. If you haven't looked up those stories, you should and be involved in them, but we do have uh, a few big things to hit. We have one that a lot of people have already been griping about where uh, we discuss the women's role in that. So we'll hit that in a moment. But first things first, as the day we record this, OL Rain decided they wanted to kick off their week with a bit of, of a blast, a bit of some fireworks, two pretty awesome acquisitions, or at least on loan acquisitions uh, for the club, which may not affect the Challenge Cup, but uh, will definitely uh, affect the incoming year for OL Rain. Uh, Mike, I'll kick it over to you to give us some of the download on that. Okay, so this was big news. When Leon got the ownership of, of the rain, we wondered what the implications of this would be. Is this just an investment? Are there going to be recruiting opportunities, more money into the club? What does this really look like, right? As, as of the day we're recording, uh, we, we saw some big news that two of Leon's players, Sarah Buadi and uh, Jennifer Marajan, are going to be playing for OL Reign over the summer as soon as Leon's season wraps up. This doesn't necessarily impact the Challenge Cup, but these are two of the best players in, in the world. Buadi especially. I mean, I would argue the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, this is huge for the OL Reign. In the offseason, we saw some Reign players go over to France and train with with Lyon's team, which was a huge benefit to them. But now we're seeing this as, as this mutual partnership, this talent sharing situation. So not only are we seeing financial investment, we're, we're seeing now some of the best players in the world coming to the NWSL. Like we had talked about this before, Steve, about mm-hmm. um, a lot of the American players like Sam Mewis, Abigail Kemper, Rose Lavelle, going overseas and leaving the NWSL, but now we're seeing kind of the inverse happening. Yeah. I think this is huge news. I mean, the rain are ascendant as is, but to get this news is huge. I kind of wondered your thoughts. Does this model have implications for other clubs? Could other, um, maybe some of the European giants jump into this game? I think it could. And I think the the leverage here that really is encouraging is the fact that the curiosity of this is would Leon treat this as would they essentially treat the rain as like a feeder club 
assert this is how we value the NWSL. And it really feels like they are treating this as a partnership and they want to exchange talent. They want to find mixtures. And that's, that's encouraging. And what that says is that's going to be a healthy mix for a lot of scenarios. It really helps, especially once we roll into a scenario where we're able to engage more fans, get more fans into the stadiums. This is a great way to get more people to events, to matches, because they'll be able to see influxes of talent. But at the same time, it just allows Rain to have a level of competitiveness that really supports them. And if this partnership is the norm, and if if Leon can look at this and say, this is how we value this partnership, we definitely see it as a one-to-one as opposed to saying, you know, if it, it's very easy for a large club to look at it holistically and say, look at all our whole empire. But if they look at it this way, this really shows the value of what can happen when these clubs partner together. And I think there's a lot of opportunities. Obviously, a good handful of MLS teams have partnerships with teams overseas. I know New York FC is probably the most common one with Manchester City, uh, but there's other examples of that. And I think there's a lot of scenarios where we could really make that work. I mean, you look at, you know, we talked about Manchester City, you know, pulling up, you know, players like Rose Lavelle, does this start, could this be a cool start to a relationship with the Washington spirit or something to that effect where we're start, we really start to see these things happen. So I think it could be a healthy move. I think the question comes down to, can this be the norm with these large clubs? And would we be able to see that engaging? Because obviously this is a huge shot in the arm for OL Reign and you can see all of the value behind it. Uh, to pull these on loan scenarios. So I'd be interested to see what else takes place there. Obviously, we have a lot of scenarios with these clubs where they're not in a position where they necessarily need to be reacquired. You know, I think Angel City's ownership scenario is probably going to be safe. I think Racing Louisville is in a good situation. We do have a few clubs that you think maybe it's worth that consideration and we'll see where it takes us. So my question for you, Mike, is obviously this probably doesn't affect the Challenge Cup. It looks like Leoncy's needs to play out. So probably as we get more into typical club play is where we'll see this manifest itself. Where does this change your perspective on where OL Reign sits on the table coming into the season, adding these two talents? Well, we had talked about this in our last discussion, Steve, but I think they are a team that has been competitive for a long time but that they are really on an upward trajectory. And I think especially with this partnership with, with Leon, I mean, we had some of the rain players train there in the off season. Now we're seeing uh, Leon players come here and play for the club during the regular season. This, I, I think this is going to really give them a huge push in the regular season, they are going to be one of the teams, certainly, that's going to get a lot more competitive. And this is this isn't a year where a lot of clubs are are getting better. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Portland has added a lot of talent. We we see other clubs like like the Courage that that are kind of in flux, but are still extremely talented and competitive. You know, we have new teams out of Louisville, but then just just to see this new level of talent out of the OL Reign. And they had already signed uh, Karen Bardsley 
as as their starting goalkeeper. And then to hear that they're getting Sarah Buadi, I mean, good luck getting anything in that net. We've mm. we've only seen them without their without their national team players. I mean, it's an Olympic year, but what happens when you know we get Megan Rapino back or Ali Long is healthy and they're one of the clubs to watch. Absolutely. 100%. I, I think there's a lot of excitement that brews from this and should be a lot of fun as this pans out. Maybe a little bit before we actually get to see them donning uh, the the cap for rain, but definitely worth looking forward to. Now, we talked about the potential with this and what it says for the future of partnering with these these large overseas clubs, these empires. And something that I would say sours that very highly potentially is the next thing we'll move into, which has really been, I'd say, the story of the sports world possibly all year. When you look internationally at the sports world, and of course that's the rollout of the European Super League uh, and the announcement that comes with that. Now, obviously a lot of people are leaned in on this, so we won't lean, we won't go too much into heavy details, but right now it looks like you've got 12 founding clubs from various European organizations between the Premier League and such. So you're looking at, as far as the list I've got, you've got AC Milan, Arsenal, uh, Atletico, Chelsea, Barcelona, Inter Milan, um, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Real Madrid, Tottenham. So you've got these 12 um, founding clubs that will essentially serve uh, essentially as an independent league claiming to put top talent on, on the floor. Now, before we dive into where women's soccer dives into this, the narrative of the show, Mike, obviously, is that we're here to speak from different perspectives, you know, from an experienced fan to a very new fan like myself. There may be a lot of people who are new to the sport of football uh, in, in listening to this and getting into the sport. So I'd love to kick it over to you, Mike, to give some perspective on why is this decision in this announcement so controversial? Now, I was going to immediately jump in and just say like, why is this such a hated move? Why is this a bad move? Because it feels like universally anyone I've seen respond to this has respond to this negatively. What is it that has made this a, such a controversial move? Why is there such a risk for this essentially harming the game in general? This, yeah, I would say this is an incredibly dangerous move for football as we know it. It poses a huge threat to the domestic leagues in Europe. It poses a, I mean, it's in direct competition to the Champions League, which I actually think is a fantastic model that I wanted to see expanded more in the women's game. And in, you know, like the NWSL, I thought there was a lot of potential to to do something similar like that. But basically, I think what this means is that I'll say the richest, most elite clubs are taking the opportunity to get out of their domestic leagues, get out of the Champions League, and just form their own private club. It's like they got sick of playing in the community league, and it's this almost pay-to-play situation where they're they're starting their own private club. And I, I think that takes some of the best clubs out of like the EPL and the other European leagues. It sabotages the competitiveness of of the Champions League, which I think is the Champions League is what I'm almost most worried about because this is a fantastic model because 
this is a situation where like you start out with a with a large group of you know even smaller clubs that can compete and do they usually make it to the later stages of the champions league do they usually win the cup no not usually they often get crushed but the fact that it's it's almost like steve i think you compared it to to like college basketball where there's always that chance for the upset that the that the underdog could potentially rise above mm-hmm. now you've got a situation where the richest and most elite clubs in europe aren't even going to compete they're not going to compete in their domestic leagues they're not going to even engage with clubs that they see as beneath them they're just going to start their own club every match is going to be a huge match and there's going to be money that we can't even fathom pumped into this thing and i think it's going to hurt everybody and then i i wanted to mention the implications for the women's game because i think the spectrum that you hit makes a ton of sense this is clearly a fiscal decision above everything else there's really Absolutely. nothing about this decision that tells you, oh, this is why in the basis of competition or in the basis of the betterment of the game, you know, it all comes down to where the money is, right? This is a fiscal decision above everything else. And that's where the frustration lies. Now, where this adds intrigue was in the official European Super League press release, there was a note that said, and I quote, as soon as practic- um, as soon as practicable after the start of men's competition, a corresponding women's league will also be launched, helping to advance and develop the women's game. My question, I'm going to start objectively to tie to the very last line of this, this part of the announcement, Mike, how does this super league structure in any way advance and develop women's soccer to paraphrase what they've said? Is there any possible way that that's true? The press release says it all that the women were an afterthought they said okay here's the here's this new structure here's here's what we're doing oh by the way um we'll include women in the future we won't give details but you know they'll be involved because we care about growing the game it was a complete afterthought with zero details am i shocked no but they don't care about the women's game like when have they ever invested money in growing the women's game like this is this is absurd like clubs are starting to invest more in their individual women's teams and and i think especially in in the english super league you're you're seeing more investment than you have in in the past but the fact that this was just an afterthought with zero details that sometime in the future we'll we'll throw women in there too there's no equality there. There's no, it was laughable. Just, just absurd. They don't care about growing the game. They care about growing the pocketbooks of a few rich clubs that want to get even richer at the expense of everybody else. And you, you made a a good point uh, earlier, Steve, that, so the European model really rests on this pro reg, this tiered system that, that if you can't keep up with competition, you get relegated. If you are doing well in your division, you get promoted to the top top division, everything like that. What th- This demolishes that model. And so 
what if you have one of these founding clubs? You know, they're one of the founders, so they're grandfathered in. But suddenly, say they lose all their talent. Like, say Barcelona. Say Messi leaves Barcelona and they just tank. Or what if what if um, Tottenham really goes downhill? Or any one of these teams. And then all of a sudden, they're still having to compete against the best clubs of Europe every single week. They get destroyed, but there's no system for relegating them to a division that would be yes more competitive um or like the story uh, one of the biggest upsets in sports history a couple of years ago when lester won the fa cup you know that was a huge upset because consistently throughout the season they were able to beat the likes of man united man city chelsea liverpool and that was a huge story Lester's not in the conversation. There's no possibility for that. But again, you know, the women's football show, we're focusing on that. The fact that the women were an afterthought completely with zero details tells you all you need need to know. Yeah, I think this structure really uh, would be putting many carts before many horses. You're looking at a Real Madrid just picked up a women's club. You have... I believe Manchester United's in their third season. Several young teams. This also comes in hor- horrid timing in that we've been seeing efforts the Champions League have been making to involve women's women's football more and more. In matter of fact, this comes right at the same time as uh, the ratification of the financial model for the Champions League women's structure that would that is set to give a grand amount of funding to the women's champions league expand into a group stage this should be a time when we should be excited about that we've seen this over the last year where there have been financial models to support women's pay in the uk and australia there there have been those efforts being made and this would potentially cut a lot of that out first and foremost if you were going to have this super league and you don't have leon involved you immediately are saying it's not actually a super league and you're immediately writing off the effectiveness of the super league for these women's clubs right off the bat. Cause you're looking at the gem of, of Europe of women's soccer in Europe being right out the shoot. I believe someone had pointed out of the women's teams that if they were to mirror the same team as the men's for this super league structure, you would have a total of one champions league team. It's you putting a lot at immediate risk as far as that is considered. I think that there's a lot of growth that has to take place before you would even entertain this thought structure. And as dangerous as it is for the for the men's side of the sport, I mean, this could cut so many women's clubs down to their very core. It's just, it's a dangerous precedent. And you have to hope that there's going to be some alteration to this. It's amazing that the UK is such a central part of this in that this is it's basically sports Brexit in a way. It's almost showing the exact same risk and and dangers on a sports perspective. You know, it's different than the very real issues that Brexit has 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 hit the UK, but in Europe in general. But this is kind of that same idea. You're just sucking the life out of so much of this, and it's it's very frustrating. Now, Mike, we have very real events and, and games to dive into. We've taken up a lot of real estate, but this story will be ongoing, and as it continues to to pop up, I think we'll continue to discuss it. Hopefully it's something that resolves itself sooner rather than later. 
Um, do you have any other thoughts on this before we move on to? Well, I did want to jump into something that I thought was really encouraging on the U.S. domestic and international side. I mean, we've got that really troubling news that we talked at length about. But then we also just heard that there there's going to be um, uh, some matches played between, uh, I believe it was Racing Louisville, uh, Chicago Red Stars, as well as I think it was uh, uh, Paris Saint-Germain and um, Bayern Munich. Really good opportunity to see some American and European clubs compete with each other. I was really excited about that. I think yeah. more of this, please. Uh, no. Like we said, we, we don't have Champions League equivalent in the U.S. right now, but I think this is a good stepping stone. I thought that was a really cool move. But, but you're right, we should right jump direction. into the Challenge Cup eventually. <laughs> yeah, let's, but... let's make that happen, because we could hit on this stuff all day. But obviously, uh, we now are through to the first portion of the Challenge Cup. We have every team has played at least one match. Uh, several teams have played twice now. As the standings look so far, uh, Mike, we're going to go division by division. We're going to start with the West Division. As it sits right now, as predicted, Portland is essentially... Uh, running roughshod they sit atop the west division with six points after two matches they've got two wins a two uh, a two goal differential um, very much look to be in the driver's seat should they pull off one more win they essentially seal up the division that said uh, there are still some open scenarios the dash currently sit with two points uh, with two different draws of course they haven't scored and they've only had three shots on goal but that's just how the breaks are uh, the rain currently sit uh, with uh, a point to their own right and uh, as well as the stars uh, the only scoreless team right now is kansas city uh, they only played one match so far losing to portland in a game that saw all kinds of cards being thrown all over the place what are you, some of your biggest takeaways from the west division after this first stretch of games well like you said uh portland definitely looks dominant even without their national team players i will say that first match against kc Portland came out swinging. Kansas City came out literally swinging. I think Kansas City held their own. Um, I was impressed with the competitiveness of it, but Portland looked great. But Kansas City managed to to get in a, an Amy Rodriguez goal before we saw four red cards. Yes. And one was later rescinded because apparently getting knocked down and shoved in the face is not something that gets you sent off. I had to check the rule book on that. But no, so Kansas City and the only match we've seen them play, they held their own. I think their biggest problem is that all the other clubs in the West are going to be getting their national team stars back and Kansas City mm-hmm. was at full capacity, basically. Um Man. Yeah, they they held their own and and got a goal on Portland. But I think that's all you can say for them. Portland looked dominant. I will say in the West, the one match that we saw from from the OL rain, I thought they looked dominant against the Houston Dash, but they just couldn't get get on the score sheet. I thought they were the dominant team, but. Ended in a nil-nil draw. 
still have potential, but that was very frustrating yeah. for them. I think Chicago is a similar scenario as well. Chicago dominated with shots on goal. They seemed to press really well. The rain looked very similar against yeah. Houston, uh, but um, neither team has been able to draw, you know, the scratch uh, as far as things look there. And there's maybe a lot of places you could turn to that if you really wanted to, um, you know, you could talk about the Houston's effectiveness within goal and their ability to protect there. But at the same time, defensively, they've left a lot of patches exposed and we've just yet to see a team take full on advantage of that. And that's kind of my question here is I feel like Houston looks like they've been outplayed for two matches from my perspective, but they sit second right now after two matches due to having two draws that get them the points they need for that. A lot can change in that coming need. One thing I'll say for Houston, though, is that they haven't produced produced any offense. That They have yet to score, I believe. But you have to give a lot of credit to their defense because this is two matches, two clean sheets. And this is without Jane Campbell in goal. So... Tons of credit to their their back line and their backup goalkeeper, Lindsey Harris, because it's not like they're playing pushover teams. They played the Chicago Red Stars and um, the OL Reign. So these are not yeah. pushover teams. These are the teams we mentioned that were in contention for, for the West Division, and they have yet to be scored on. They have yet to score. Yeah. But also now we're going to be seeing now, the likes of Rachel Daly and Christy Mewis coming back that that can hopefully and, and I suppose some- I suppose my follow-up on that though is is what really is the value in Houston's defense as you look at it right now? Because while they are yet to give up a score, they also have essentially been well in the former when it comes to finding scoring opportunities. I mean the the shot differential in both matches was pretty strong in favor of their opponents. They only have three total shots on goal um, and they've given up. I want to say eight in that time, their club, the clubs they face it have been unable to find the net, uh, but they've been able to put themselves in positions to score. And so is this a case of you definitely can credit that back line, or is it almost like it's, it might be a matter of time before the dam breaks for them. And that's a legitimate question. I don't have a take either way. I don't have a good answer for that, but it's it's a great question. I will give a lot of credit to their back line and their and their goalkeeper. And again, you're going to be getting, you know, national team goalkeeper Jane Campbell back. So that's a big deal. I think having Rachel Daly, Christy Mewis back is going to help their attack tremendously. It'll increase their speed, and a lot of their offensive production comes from from those two players. Not to single them out, because it's they do have a pretty dynamic offense when it's clicking, but it is troubling, because I think you're right. I, I still think O.L. Reign should have had that match on Houston. They they were knocking at the door and just couldn't get it in. And and the, that changes that changes the spectrum of the the West Table so drastically. If the rain pull out that match, then because that was their only game so far. If the rain pull out that match, then it's anybody's division in the West right now. Portland owns owns the table. 
But that being said, Chicago has struggled with offensive production. I I think they're a team that has done well in the midfield, but is once again, we've told this story many times, missing support for uh, Kalia Watt, as good as she is, needs some sort of support. You can definitely see where they miss someone like Yuki Nagasato, who put a lot. I was about lot. to say exactly that. It's her, yes. her, her departure is felt pretty strongly in that's someone exactly to who you direct the offense yep. and and the the play from the midfield yeah and really disrupt the box well enough so that they can open up the space that they need because i think that's been my biggest frustration in watching chicago is they're one of those clubs and you've heard me say this a lot where they just make one move too many um yes. they're not as quick to make moves toward the net and it ends up hurting them and it ends up messing up their spacing and it doesn't quite feel there now things could change between one match to the next but that's been i guess my observation my they're mm-hmm. scary in the midfield because i mean <clears throat> look at how they dominate the possession in the midfield especially with uh, players like casey kruger and morgan gatrop and this is even without julie Ertz, but they, you know, they they've dominated teams in the midfield, but haven't been able to, like you said, connect it efficiently in the attacking third. So, yes. Now let's go ahead and move on to the schedule for this week before we move on to the next division, because I think we've, we've got a really good spectrum of how the, the West looks. We have two matches on Wednesday as we're recording this on a Monday. So on the 21st, we've got the Chicago Red Stars hosting Kansas City. Uh, Thorns are hosting rain, which is always a good time. Uh, just to cut to you, we'll make it pretty quick. And obviously you can hit your thought, you know, your analytical process as you talk through this, but I, I feel like Thorns rain is obviously going to be the big matchup, but looking at stars and KC, uh, how do you see that panning out? Do you, did this feels like it points in Chicago's direction? Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? What's your, uh, what's your take on this matchup? I agree with that. I think Chicago has has a lot more talent to draw from. Not, I'll give Kansas City credit for holding their own against Portland, but I I think advantage Chicago absolutely. But you're absolutely right. Um, I think the showdown is with uh, Portland Thorns and OL Rain now. So. so Casey Chicago, really quick. Let's give a full prediction. If you have a score in mind for that one, what are you thinking? I'll go one nil Chicago. I'm going to Kansas city being able to draw in their match against Portland really stood out to me. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to give this to Chicago, but I might go two one again. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know, similar edge. Cause I, I was impressed. They were, you know, Amy Schilling, which I just, I, I'm never getting used to that. <laughs> um, Amy Rodriguez, but it's how many. Okay. Here, Schilling here's, the, here's the real, here's the real question. How, yeah. how many red cards are we going to see in this matchup, man, Morgan Weaver was such good flit for that uh, to go off. It's not so much that uh, I, I'm not trying to say she incited anything, but she was, she was a good partner in that scenario, but Chicago's not without it, but I think we're due a good red card. Why not? Okay. It's why not? Let's hit the Cascadia rivalry. Now, if Portland wins this match, it all but wraps up the West division in their favor. Uh, there are some other mathematical possibilities, but that put them at nine points. OL Rain right now is probably the best mathematical possibility. So they would need this win pretty heavily 
uh, draw could potentially slow things down. We've seen really good soccer out of rain. That said, their inability to convert on the scoring end has been tough for them. Portland has essentially done whatever they wanted to do offensively and look to be uh, as deep as you could possibly be uh, considering that they don't have any of their international talents to support them in that. So trying to take bias aside, what's your take on this matchup and how do you see it going? I've got high hopes for this being a fantastic matchup and I'm going to say there's fireworks. I'm going to say three two Portland. I think it's going to be a high scoring one. It's always a fun rivalry, but these are two great clubs and yeah, I'm going to go three, two Portland. What, where are you at, Steve? I'm going to just for the fun of it, take the opposite route. Cause why not? I think that one, the range showed a lot of promise. They just need to show their ability to convert. Obviously this is against a much tougher team and that's frustrating. There's a couple notches that they could really add to their, their sash belt, whatever you put notches on. And one would be to be able to have a clean sheet against Portland. So I'm, I'm going to give oil rain a one nil victory here just for the heck of it, because then it makes our jobs more interesting to have a, a competitive division to still talk about. And that's really all it comes down to. And also, Hey, oil rain got a huge acquisition this morning. That might breathe some fun energy and life into a squad. Uh, that's looking for some, some positive things to cling to. Maybe that bleeds over into Wednesday. So who knows? So I'll go, I'll go one nil. My confidence points on that are a little rough, but you know, what's some fun with hey, that? I'm, predictions? I'm there too. I mean, as dominant as Portland has looked, anything can happen when these two teams play each other. It's 100%. 100%. Let's kick over to the East. Obviously, as we talked about, things are a little bit more competitive as things stand right now. Uh, the two teams sitting at the top, ironically enough, have both played just one match. That's the Courage and Gotham FC. The Spirit also have three points after two matches themselves. And then the, the purple squads, the purple posse, the Pride and Racing Louisville FC both share a point. I think that the talent dis, um, disparity with this is, is very telling. There's a lot more competitiveness to it. Now, I feel like Carolina's victory over Washington uh, was pretty telling and somewhat comfortable, though Washington did look really good in points. Um, but that said, it definitely is sending the message that it, this might be tougher for Carolina to overtake than some might have predicted. What are your thoughts on the East division after this last week and a half? Well, Steve, I'm at, I'm actually having the opposite feelings. I was worried about the courage having lost so many key players, you know, you know, Dahl Kemper, Dunn, Mewis. I, I was um, curious how they would adjust and in there, especially again, we've only seen them once. So it's early days. But their win against the Spirit, I thought they looked lethal. And they played slightly different, but a similar style. But I thought they looked quite dangerous against a Spirit team that didn't look bad either. So I that actually renewed my hopes for them being a continuing dominant force in the league, and especially in their division. That said... Washington was no pushover, and I especially liked what I saw out of their young talent. Trinity Rodman has had a huge tournament. She, she's been all over the map. She's, you know, scored, assisted, and I think between her and Ashley Sanchez, they have 
combined to create some really quick creative play that I love to see out of Washington. We we asked this last time, Steve, about what they would look like without the magician that is Rose Lavelle. But I think some of these young players have stepped up in a huge way. And they didn't get the win against Carolina. They they did get the win against Louisville with that goal and stoppage time, I believe. But I think they're a team that is quite competitive. Um, yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think that uh, you, you talked about that Ashley Sanchez goal. Uh, toward the end of stoppage time, I actually, that might've been the most exciting goal of the tournament so far. Uh, it was, it was a huge moment and a huge uh, assisted boon from Trinity Rodman, who has been one of the best stories of this challenge cup. Of course, as everyone knows, Trinity Rodman, daughter of Michelle Moyer uh, and has <laughs> been a huge, you know, just a uh, someone who has uh, taken advantage of the minutes that she's been given and has shown a lot of energy there. So Washington is the only team that if they can continue this suit are able to keep things pretty competitive. And what's interesting is while the courage offensively looked stout, um, Washington was able to keep things strongly competitive. And that might've been the most exciting match of the tournament in that, you know, obviously the score in itself being three, two, I, I just think there is, it showed the the stripes the courage could have in that it's going to take them playing at a certain level every night to, to run this effectively, which is exciting to see on a competitiveness level. There's a lot of good stuff to really behold there. You know, that said Louisville, I think in general has actually looked pretty impressive. All things considered while they don't really have a huge point hall to boast that, uh, you know, they had a very exciting 2-2 draw with the Pride and looked really strong as far as those pieces are considered. I thought they obviously played really well against Washington. Obviously, the differential on that whole scenario being a late a late goal. But as I look at this, and, and on top of that, by the way, their their kits play extremely well. Oh, yes. Uh, they they look they look even better on the on the field than I expected them to. Uh, and it's unfortunate that the two best kits right now, possibly the three best kits all have are, are black based because we won't be able to see any sort of matchup between these squads. Cause it, it, if there was a way to somehow have Orlando Louisville match up with their top kits, but obviously you can't cause of the same color or like having dreams of grandeur of a final, you know, the flower final against uh, the floral final, even. Oh yes. But one day we'll see. I, I think there's a lot to be had there, but we could talk kits a heck of a lot soon. That said, I think they've looked extremely impressive and it's hard to see exactly where they pan out on the competitiveness front. Orlando, it's interesting because we didn't get a chance to see them last year. They actually played with some noise in the fall league. As you look at it now, it's kind of really up in the air how things are, are are panning out for them. They were given some pretty good opportunities to score. Obviously, Marta was, uh, I think she had a free kick that didn't quite go her way. Um, and just, you know, it, it, there's a lot to dive into as far as those teams are considered. That said, before we jump into predictions, is there anything else from any of these matchups that stands out to you? Well, you, you brought this up, but the East Division, it's kind of perplexing because... I thought the courage, courage maybe looked most dominant to me, but we've only seen them once. Uh, I thought Gotham looked excellent. Mm -hmm. But again, 
we've only seen them once. Uh, Racing Louisville looked really good, but a loss and a draw. So it's it's not in the, you know, it's not showing up in their points category. Same with Washington Spirit, a win and a draw. It's it's very hard to get a read on the East Division. The West is, is a, a lot more solidified. The East, between the schedule and how many games have been played and just how it's looked versus the actual outcomes of the games, it's hard for me to get a read on, on where the mm-hmm. East is going to end up. So I'm yeah. watching this one with a lot more curiosity. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, we both predicted Carolina to come out of this division. I mean, it yeah. felt like a kind of a, a foregone conclusion. And yes, I think we still trend in that direction, but the potential of teams stepping up and finding a way through it We've got a small sample size, and this is a Washington Spirit team that got two goals in on them, you know? Yeah, and and pulled in a win themselves. And if Washington continues on that momentum, and there's a team that's able to, at the very least, slow the courage down, you're looking at, you know, who knows? You're looking at a, a lot of potential there. So there's a lot to dive into. Let's go ahead and hit the East matchups that we have over this week before we obviously dive into, you know, we'll, we'll be back later this week or toward the weekend to hit the following week's Challenge Cup matches. Uh, first things first, we've got Gotham FC hosting uh, the Courage. A lot of ramifications here. If Gotham finds a way to upend this with a, uh, with some opportunity, it really opens up the table wide. Do you see any potential in that, or do the Courage take care of business? This is tough because for what I've seen from both sides – they they both play a really quick forward moving offense, and um, I really liked what I saw out of Ifiana Manu from from mm-hmm. Gotham the other day, um, who has so much speed and and forward movement. Um, but of course, that's what the Courage are known for. I this might be the showdown in the East. Who that's tough. I'm gonna call it a draw. I'm gonna say Gotham gets the draw at two two. All right. I always forget we can predict a draw. That would still Maybe that's be boring. <laughs> no, no, it's not because it's a, it's it would actually be a huge result for the table in general. Uh, to cut to cut two points out of Courageous Hall in this early on would actually be a big move. So I like where you're going there. My feeling on the matter is it really seems like the Courage have their mojo going offensively. Yeah. Yeah. It would take a whole lot for Gotham to be able to withstand on the on the defensive end and on the back line. It doesn't necessarily feel that way. So I'm going to give this to Carolina 2-0. But um, I, I like that that's not a foregone conclusion. So it'll make for a fun matchup altogether. We've got one more matchup over these two nights uh, to hit this. We're heading over to Disneyland. Well, not, not necessarily. It's, it's in the same city. There's other stuff there, too. It's universal. I'm sure there's some restaurants. Let's head to Orlando. The Pride hosts the Washington Spirit uh, in a land of intrinsic philosophical phenomenons. Pride and Spirit. I thought you were uh, going like I thought. Thought you were. It was some commentary on Florida, man. But no, this is more just like you know. Would you rather have pride or would you rather have spirit? You know, like um, I don't know. That took a direction I wasn't expecting. That said, the Spirit are two matches in. They've looked very strong. They do have three points on the table. 
the pride have seemed to struggle to get some energy going, but the talent base is definitely there. Where do you see this one going? I'm feeling pretty good about the spirit. I'm going to give, I'll say Orlando at least gets a goal in, but I'm going to say 2-1 for Washington. I'm going to throw one extra on there for Washington. I'm going to go 3-1. Sure. I think they've got an in them. Why not? Live a little, you know. Let's continue to uh, get Michelle Moyer's favorite baby girl uh, some opportunity. <laughs> so I, I like that. So that's your that's your setup here for the upcoming matches for this week. We'll be back either late this week or over the weekend to get prepared for the following week's matchups that will be kicking off Monday, April 26th. So we'll have matches next week, Monday and Tuesday. So we'll be ready to hit those up. But before we put a wrap on this, Mike, is there anything else you wanted to bring to the table? No, just, I mean, there's been some fantastic football. This has been a lot of fun to watch. I will say, you know, the <laughs> the inaugural day of, of the Challenge Cup, the very first match, the uh, Dash Red Stars was kind of a slow, just slugfest. And I was like, uh-oh, are, are we in, you know, is everybody rusty? Is this, is this going to be just a, a slog of a Challenge Cup? And then that was immediately followed by the fireworks with Portland and KC. And then I knew we were off to the races. So this was very, very similar to last year, by the way, I believe it was a nil nil draw to open up the challenge cup last year. And then I believe it, that was been Utah had the, uh, the three, three draw that was three, one in the 70th minute. And uh, so, so that's just how it is. It takes a minute to get warmed up, but once it does, it blows up. So Definitely exciting. Tough to not have a uh, a slider playground to, to watch, though. We did get some uh, glare on the camera on one of the matches the other night. Oh, I good. But That's I, nostalgia. But I that hits you right in the was. feels, that glare. No no slide, but I was like, okay, okay. This, this, this feels like home. <laughs> there it is. There you have it. Well, there you are. Of course, uh, you can watch uh, matches uh, primarily on Paramount+. Plus is uh, looks throughout the week paramount plus also on cbs sports network and of course always streaming on twitch uh if you want to follow our our show we're over on twitter at nwsl nation pod you can also follow our sister podcast wma nation pod by the same name and nwhl pod which released uh earlier this year so we've got a lot of stuff going on feel free to check all of that good stuff out that said we've got a lot more soccer to talk about over the next month and until we get to there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of NWSL Nation. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Mike McPhee. And we'll catch you again next time.